0: Mike with Hutton and Withrow underway on this Monday edition. Withrow is back. And glad you're back with us as we broadcast live six and peabody with eha beer and old smoky moonshine. Chad, good afternoon. A jam-packed show. We've got Barrett Salee of CBS Sports, college football analyst, joins us in 20 minutes. Uh, a bit later, former quarterback at Florida State. Now, uh, a great uh, college football analyst, Danny Connell, uh, will join us. That will be an hour or two, plus a very special guest in OutKick's own, Charlie Arnold, later in today's show.
2: and I leave for three days, and I come back, and the very foundation of all that is college football has disintegrated <laughs> below our feet. And the United States standing as a women's soccer-dominant powerhouse... Has also faded away in a short amount of time. So much has happened since the last time we spoke.
0: Yes, and that's where we start with our sports Earth headlines uh, coming off of the weekend. Uh, U.S. women's national team eliminated over the weekend. And they're out and did not, I don't believe they finished lower than third in any of the previous uh, World Cups. And now they're out, failing to advance uh, past uh, Sweden and did it. It was a, a scoreless draw that went to the penalty uh, kicks in the shootout, and they end up losing 5-4. Megan Rapino airmails her shot over the goal uh, in a, a horrific way, immediately is, is laughing and smiling about it as she walks off the pitch, and that caused an immediate stir and reaction because that's kind of been the reaction of, of this team in Australia and in New Zealand, Chad. This, this is, uh, this is on, the, on the doorstep of a ton of change with this program for the U.S. women's national team. Rapino is, is not returning. Alex Morgan uh, is probably not returning. The coach is probably out, uh, based on how they finished two years ago at the Olympics and now what we've seen here. Uh, the first couple of games did not look great at all. And in what was, by all accounts, their best effort, they end up having Rapino, who's uh, by and large a backup, enter in the 99th minute, enters to have this happen—the first penalty shot that she's missed in five years—and uh, the reaction was, like she said, a, a sick joke and uh, a dark comedy. That was how I would term the effort that we saw at the world cup from
2: this team. Well, let's start with the jokes. Uh, They really take this equality thing seriously because they equal the men in what they do every time and getting eliminated in the round of 16. So they really were equal to the men in this one. Um, It was a terrible performance, really the whole tournament. The crazy thing is by all accounts, I did not wake up early enough to watch this, but I've seen highlights and I've read enough about it. They may have played their best match against Sweden. They had plenty of opportunities. They had 22 shots, 11 of them on net. They just uh, ran up against a a great goalie that they couldn't get one past, and it goes to penalty kicks. Megan Rapinoe had a bad attempt, but she had been great before that throughout her international career on penalty kicks. I don't take much away from the laughter at the end of it. I think that was sort of a defense mechanism for are you kidding me? I always come through in this moment, and I just choked it away. And she even said that afterward, that it was a dark comedy to end that way for for her career. Um, You know, Julie Ertz, we've talked about this. She's in tears after the match, uh, announcing her retirement, knowing it's over. There are plenty of women on that team that love America, that love representing America. Julie Ertz mentioned specifically about the last chance to wear this shield on my uniform and represent the United States of America. I feel for them. um, I wanted Team USA to win it all. Uh, This was not good, and when something like this happens, I liken it to 2004 Olympics in Athens when U.S. men's basketball went down in the semifinals to Argentina, and that was the first time in forever that they were not going to win a gold medal, and the first time ever the NBA players did not win a gold medal, and what happened from that moment on? They've won every gold medal since. There was a reset. Larry Brown was the head coach of the team, there was a reset of let's get the stars back. And then 2008, you had the redeem team where Kobe Bryant and LeBron James and everybody stepped up and played on that team and brought the gold medal back to the United States. And they've won every Olympic gold medal since. I hope this disaster down under starts a reset for US Women's National Team because, and this is important, it's the reason I've always supported them because of their greatness. But they should be better than everyone else in the world. They have more freedoms than much of the world when it comes to women's athletics. Title IX has opened up more opportunities for women than the rest of the world. Now, what we've seen is the rest of the world has started to open things up as well, and they've caught up with this team. We saw it in 2004 in men's basketball, as I mentioned. It became an international sport. Those countries' best players actually represented their country. I'm not saying that our best soccer players aren't representing the United States. I'm saying there needs to be a rethinking of how we shape the roster moving forward, and it probably starts with a new head coach. Yeah,
0: I, I, I think that's coming as well. and uh, Maybe we can get into this a bit later, but the, the immediate reaction to Rapino was tribute videos and things, because they knew that this would, as soon as they were eliminated or they won, it was her last match. Uh, the reaction, if that happened to LeBron James, Tom Brady... Uh, name the quarterback, Peyton, whatever. Uh, you can go to any sport. You mentioned the, the equality. I mean, it would be a choke job. That would be the description if you had a, a free throw for the win or a free throw to tie. Uh, how do we remember Buckner or Carl Malone, where the mailman doesn't deliver on Sunday? Uh, those uh, others that we can uh, certainly uh, – Chris Weber calling the timeout, right? Instead, it's you know, the tribute to a career, which has been great. But the moment is the dark comedy, for sure. Chad, are we seeing that play out? <laughs> it, uh, we certainly have the dark comedy of the Pac-12. And now we see four power conferences, not five, because the Big 12 gets their four corner programs that they had been rumored to want. We knew Colorado, already a part of this mix. Arizona had already applied whenever we were on the, on the air last Friday now they get arizona state and utah uh, to make it official those four joining the big 12 uh, coming up and this is the difference between two main powers of leadership they didn't have it at the pac-12 they do and brett Yormark in the big 12. they're relevant
2: unlike the conference on the west coast and if you ask Florida State that's only a big three because the ACC is not worthy of being called a big four because Florida State desperately wants out of that conference. So it's only big 10 SEC and big 12 left. I would argue ACC also left. Um, I feel worse today for anyone associated with Oregon state, Washington state, Cal and Stanford. I feel worse for them than I do the U S women's national team. I feel worse for them than the dark comedy of Megan Rapino missing that penalty kick in her last kick in an international competition. Because they have been completely left behind. Justin Wilcox, head coach of Cal, said it. It's very sad. is a sad day for college sports. It's a sad day for a 108-year-old conference to be no more and have four teams left. And as Justin Wilcox said, all could have been avoided with better communication and some problem solving to work their way out of this. Instead, it is what we have found out in 2023. Not only is money the leading factor in decision making, it has become the only factor in decision making because not one conference commissioner or school president or television executive can stand up and honestly say with a straight face they thought about any one of these two groups in making these decisions. The student athletes and what makes sense for them and travel and regional rivalries and everything else and the second group, the fans. No one asks the fans what the hell they want I'm willing to bet a lot of Pac-12 fans are pissed off right now because they've had 108 years of rivalries and they've had 108 years of the Rose Bowl game mattering and being the biggest thing in America. We've heard for years the college football playoff couldn't change because of the integrity of the Rose Bowl, the Pac-12 champion, the Big Ten champion. Now we got a four-team round robin for the Pac-12 championship. Why? Because of money. And it pisses me off. The more I've thought about it this weekend, the angrier I get with the destruction of a once-proud conference. And it's all because of money. We can point to George Klyavikov. We can point back to Scott and his bad decision-making with the Pac-12. They've done a lot to earn this embarrassment. I hate it for those four schools left behind. I hate it that the other schools that left felt like they were pinned into a corner because the axis of college sports was shifting to something else, and they had to make a move one way or the other. I hate all of it right now. But for those four schools, Hutton, I don't know what's next. You've got reports now that the AAC, not the ACC, the AAC said, we will have all four. You can can go ahead and apply for membership here. Jump down a level. You were in a Power Five conference. That's no more. Go ahead and join our conference. We're here for you. Uh, Our guy Jim Williams had the report about the ACC in talks with those four school presidents. And I mean, I I see that tweet. I'm just thinking, this is just laughable. This is all one big LOL. Oregon State, Washington State, Cal and Stanford are going to talk with the ACC now. Not a single bit of this makes sense other than what makes monetary sense for the networks and the conferences well but the the it's also
0: from the just the bottom dollar not the the top end of this you know the reports surfacing over the weekend that the most recent offer from Apple TV and that was the only offer uh was just a little over 20 million dollars as the base as the guarantee and then subscriptions you could earn more based on the subs that you would create through Apple TV And, and the other thing to point to is linear TV still dominates here Linear TV has to be a part of this, uh, and it needs to be the first option, not the secondary option, because you need your top programs on air, filling inventory, uh, and the primetime spots like Oregon and Utah would be doing, and, and, and Washington, and, and others. That was the issue here. You, Apple would need, and if you want to earn more media rights money, based on the contract that was on the table for them last week, you need those programs behind a paywall, and then you have everyone else that would be offered to linear TV. They didn't want uh, any part of that from the network point of view. Uh, Anna Marie um, Kalsey, I believe is how you say uh, the president's name at Washington, she went into detail of the talks and said even this past Friday morning, when there was a glimmer of hope, uh, where it was going back and forth, uh, there was some upside, downside to the talks, uh, where Thursday evening it appeared that Oregon and Washington were bouncing to the Big Ten, then Friday morning, oh, maybe they're not, they're reconsidering, they're trying to... hear one last pitch from the PAC 12 Anna Marie Kelsey, uh, the president of Washington said that the offer that was on the table late last week was different than the one that had been presented because things change whenever you have what's happening to the big 12 and potentially the move of Oregon paired with Washington. And it just didn't make sense. The other part too, that she said was what we just discussed, the, the, the TV model instead of just the streaming only. And she confirmed that was the only deal on the table that they were presented with. And then the money changed even though Klavikov was saying that it was going to be on par with the ACC or Big 12. That wasn't the case, and that's why ultimately they made the move. Um, yeah, it's,
2: it's crazy. It, it, and it, the and, Arizona and president also, I know, spoke today and confirmed all media reports are true. about what was offered. It was about $23 That was the number without any subscriptions. And that the threshold was 1.7 million subscriptions to a Pac-12 package. If they reached that, they would equal Big 12 in terms of payout to each school. Now, I I went back, because there was a big article over the weekend from Front Office Sports about the effectiveness of the MLS package with Apple TV+. And their big number was 1 million subscribers. Now, Apple... Apple's very secretive. They At don't, the they don't, $75 rate, they right? They don't but tell you... That for that package. Yes. They're not public. I think it was it was $100 to start the season. They've lowered it to $50 now for the MLS package, for the season pass. Apple's very secretive about numbers. They don't tell what their shows do on Apple TV. They're not saying much about that. But an executive with Apple did say they were over the million threshold before Messi. So the Messi deal really blew it up over the top. So I kept thinking, so $1.7 million, is that doable I find it hard to believe that with every MLS team in that package, Colin was saying there's some international events that come included in that also. You factor in all those teams, all those soccer fans, if they had a hard time getting to a million over the course of one season, I think 1.7 million would have been a reach for just Pac-12 sports fans to get that many subscribers to that package to reach that Big 12 number. And I'm sure the conference president's Got together and thought well, the exact same thing. And,
0: and, and uh, Anna Marie Kelsey said, "One of the best things about the, the contract offer from Apple TV that was being presented through Klavikov and the Pac-12 was, oh, we could get out of this deal in two years." Right. And she said, "If that's if that's one of the leading factors as why it's a positive, that's how bad this deal was and yep. why no one would sign it from the grant of rights and the the, the media deal." Brett McMurphy too uh, had uh, this tweet out. Earlier and and said how committed was the Pac-12 to staying together following last Tuesday's meeting with Commissioner George Klavikov, the Pac-12 president a Pac-12 president contacted a Big 12 president and asked if the Big 12 could take all nine of us except for Oregon State and Washington State take that all of us source.
2: please please we need you we need you Big 12 take all of us this right now from Pete Thamel as of two minutes ago sources in the next 24 hours there's two calls for the ACC to vet and have early exploratory discussions on the potential addition of Cal and Stanford. Just those two. One is for ACC athletic directors and the other for the league's president and chancellors. Hutton, how have these 24 to 48-hour immediate conference calls for exploratory sessions gone in the last week and a half? Almost all of them have ended up with movement and someone being voted in and accepted into a conference. I read this and I immediately think, Stanford and Cal are about to be, and I'm laughing as I say it, in the damn Atlantic Coast Conference. Two schools located on or very close to the Pacific Ocean will be in the ACC in the next 48 hours. You heard it here first. That is my guess right now based on Pete Thamel's reporting. And Keep this in mind. In many of the markets in the Big Ten,
0: flying to Eugene, Oregon, commercial commercial flights would take you longer. It takes you longer to fly to Eugene, Oregon than it would take them to fly to London because there are all these connections, commercial flights. Just put that in perspective. Uh, If the average team, not football or hoops, had to make that trek. Craziness. At least you can get to Cal and Stanford easier. Maybe. Barrett Salee joins us to join uh, this discussion and where we're headed next, especially the ACC. 6th and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike with the Hunt and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Uh, surprise isn't the right word when it comes to conference realignment now, or you know, team expansion, uh, where we're headed in college football. But to see what has happened with the Pac-12 compared to what Larry Scott was preaching in 2018 is just crazy to me barrett salee joins us cbs sports college football analyst uh, and one of the best out there great to see you uh barrett thanks for joining the show and good to see you last month here in nashville at the uh, uh sec meetings uh su- surprise isn't the right word for for this but what has surprised you most about the last couple of weeks and all the news that has happened and all of the expansion and movement
1: well, to me, it was as quickly as it happened. Right. I think that we all knew dominoes were going to fall at some point. We, we all sort of expected the demise of the Pac-12 to happen eventually. But all this wrangling, you know, all of these negotiations back and forth, the fact that, you know, last Thursday, Oregon and Washington, the Big Ten wasn't going to happen. And then you wake up Friday morning and it already has happened. I mean, it, it was just it was so fast moving. It, it reminded me. Uh, of back in in 20 uh, 2010 2011 when the first big round of realignment happened, where almost every single day there were two or three things in your head spinning, trying to figure out uh, what's happening and how quickly it's happening, and so um, a lot of knee jerk reactions from a lot of schools out there. Um, some of them are warranted, some of them aren't. A lot of knee jerk reactions from uh, conferences as well. Uh, you mentioned the Pac-12 though. Uh, you know it's it's crazy to think that George Klioffkov has made Larry Scott look competent as a commissioner, but <laughs> Uh, I think Klyovkov looks. Uh, he has a ton of blame to go around here. I think he got the job thinking everybody was best friends uh, without realizing that anybody could stab you in the back at any time. And and here he is with a conference of four teams that's on life support.
2: Barrett, it sounds weird to do you know soul-searching about college football, but it is my favorite thing. Yeah. So I, I did some soul-searching about it this weekend and really just tried to spend some time alone thinking about everything that's happening. And here's the conclusion <laughs> that I've drawn. We always knew that money was the biggest factor in college football decisions, right, and conference decisions. But at some point along the way, we've allowed ourselves to accept the fact that money is now the only factor. Before, it was the top on a list of factors that schools and TV networks and everyone would consider. But now when I hear things like um, that that Stanford and Cal are going to the ACC, I'm thinking we've really allowed this thing to get completely out of control. And should we be just accepting that, that for some reason, money is the only thing that matters, not athletes, not what coaches think, because Nick Saban doesn't even like this, not what (laughs) anyone else in the school thinks, only the TV networks and the money they're going to get from the TV networks is all that matters from here on out. How should we feel about that?
1: Well, I think you should be thrilled and because it is the student athlete that's going to benefit most from this. And uh, it's not just football, right? You know, football is the highest profile sport, obviously. But with all this money, the majority of student athletes are going to benefit in ways that they never imagined. I'm talking about swimming, lacrosse, soccer, you know, you name it. If we're sitting here and saying we, we care about the student athletes, we have to actually care about all student athletes, right? Uh, so yeah, it's all about money. And I think we all recognize that and, and sure, it's going to continue to be that way, but the more money, the more opportunities you have to build the reputation, build the access, build the opportunities for athletes in non-traditional, what used to be non-revenue sports probably still will be, but uh, with all encompassing TV deals, we'll see uh, what all that brings in, but it's, uh, I, it, it is all about money. And and I think I'm fine with that. And, and, you know, guys, we've talked about this a lot when I've been on your show, uh, not, not just here, but the previous iteration of it, it's, we always talked in the first round of this 15 years ago about four 16 team super conferences, right? Well, they're not going to be 16 teams. But they're super conferences, right? And if the ACC goes and grabs Cal and Stanford and Washington State, Oregon State, whatever, you're talking essentially about four nationwide conferences that are maybe 16, maybe 14, maybe 18. But you have the halves, so to speak. So, what we all thought were gonna was gonna be inevitable is kind of coming to fruition. It's just not exactly as we planned. So that's why like all these these folks say and i'm never going to watch this sport again college athletics is a disaster you know i can't believe they're doing this to to the once proud tradition of college football it's like you guys knew this is where it's going the whole way it's just a matter of the
2: well, path look, to get I, there
1: and I, what the end result I, I, I want, is i want to fight back on this
2: a little bit only because it, knowing where it's going and being okay with it are two different things and i just don't know how if money is the driving factor and it's all about money When these athletic directors get the spreadsheet and see how much it's going to cost to send the volleyball team from Washington to Rutgers for a match and then flying back across the country, how quickly are they going to cut those sports into something else and carve them up into their own regional conference and just allow football and basketball to be in that conference and make all the money? So I do think it's going to lead to more money and more opportunities for football and basketball players. You really think that they're just going to allow the cost to completely outweigh everything. And even the sports that don't make money are going to get all the same opportunities forever. Or are we going to eventually cut away from the NCAA and have our own football and basketball governing body away from those non-revenue sports?
1: No, I absolutely think they're going to continue somewhat status quo because yeah, you're going to have Washington travel across the country uh, to Rutgers. You might have what Oregon state or Washington state go all the way to Miami. But uh, the the truth of the matter is this student athletes don't take many classes during their athletic season. If you talk to a football player, they take the minimum amount of hours and they take the easiest classes during the fall. That's, that's fine because you know, summer school is something that's normal for now for pretty much everybody. So you're, what you're asking them to do from an academic standpoint is easy. You take online classes, everybody does it. It's not a big deal. And then from a financial standpoint, yeah, you're going to send them across the country because it does gain exposure for those programs. And it does raise the the profile of all aspects of your athletic department. And look, yeah, you're going to have uh, a situation where you're going across the country. I would be floored if the Big Ten doesn't say, all right, look, you guys you say it's whatever, um, Indiana. You're going to play uh, a, a, a baseball series. Against Washington, you're going to stick around that week, take online classes, then you're going to go play USC or whatever. That's that's not unreal. That, that's that's realistic in a lot of different ways. It, it's not that hard to actually function as an athletic department when you do things like that, and you have the ability to do things like that because you have so much money. So I don't think that it's as big of a deal as maybe you're making it out to be.
0: Barrett Salee with the CBS Sports College Football Analyst. Uh, what, what have you, what details of the PAC 12 deal? And and based on what the presidents have told us from, from within these meetings, what did you raise an eyebrow about and say, they only got this offer that this is what Apple TV and and was strong arming with, because that was the only offer. Uh, if you are just in a a conference, ACC is in a grant of rights through 2036, uh, but If you're any other conference right now looking at the monetary value of what you are what do you take away from the streaming offer that was apple tv plus compared to linear television
1: i think the apple uh, deal is interesting because it did it was the incentives uh, that were you know subscription based they kind of make sense you know they didn't pull that number out of the sky they didn't say all right, if you get 1.7 million subscriptions, we're going to bump it up to 31.6. And if you get 5 million subscriptions, we're going to bump it up to 51 million, whatever it was. It's interesting because that is the wave of the future. But I think the one uh, the one thing that George Klyovkov, I think, didn't recognize is that he's actually ahead of the curve, right? Like, yes, streaming is going to be the future. We all know that. But... He thought the future was now, and in in reality, it's something that I call the the one button crowd the 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 old folks like us and and older than us that are used to pushing one button. The TV pops on, your channels are there, and you get to watch what you want to watch. Um, you know, those of us that are in this business understand. Hey, in the streaming world, you hit three. It's not that hard. Older folks don't recognize that. As those people age out, yeah, you're going to have a lot more success streaming. Uh, and the Pac-12, I think, uh, maybe misjudged that uh, right now. But I think in terms of where it goes in the future. It's a big problem for Apple TV because uh, th- they're not that profitable in terms of streaming. Netflix is the only one that really has, uh, you know, a healthy bottom line right now. And so, if Apple TV can't get that done, and they offered a deal that pie in the sky actually was pretty decent, then what does that mean moving forward? And I think what what we've seen is consolidation. Right? It's going to be the ESPN conference. It's going to be the the Fox Fox Sports conference. Those are the two. That are gonna basically divide uh the line share of the of the revenue or of the inventory, and they have their streaming uh services already set up. So I, I just think that any thought of somebody jumping in like a Netflix and Apple and Amazon or whatever, um, and, and taking care of things for a conference or for a current broadcast linear network, um, the collapse of this Pac-12 deal is a sign that it's gonna be Pretty hard for that to to happen in the near future, but um you know, I, I think when when you look, you know, toward two thousand thirty six, we have no idea what it's going to look like, right? Yeah. We can sit here and say, hey, the ACC is stuck. Yeah, the ACC is stuck for now, but I think what Greg Sankey has done, and this is to his credit, he does not view anything through a five year window. He has the long game in his mind all the time. And if you're Jim Phillips, if you're Florida State, if you're Clemson. You still have to look at that and say, okay, we can't just jump for the sake of jump and jumping, and you know have all this money we've got to spend, um, you know, for, through J.P. Morgan or whatever to to have a buyout. You have to look long term for stability, and um, the ACC has that in terms of TV contracts, but teams don't like it. But you can't flip flop that and let the pendulum swing in the different direction.
2: And Barrett, let's take the long term approach here. If if the possibility, or it is a possibility now, that Stanford and Cal will be a part of the Atlantic Coast Conference. How long until conferences, in the interest of cherry-picking, start to throw out some bad apples and that we have programs removed from conferences that aren't bringing a lot to the table monetarily? A Rutgers from the Big Ten, a Missouri or Vandy from the SEC, trying to get to that perfect 16 teams. Will we see by 2030, 2036, teams actually get removed (laughs) from power conferences?
1: Man, that would be that would make so much great content for us if that happened i mean can you imagine like missouri fighting for its life against arkansas on rivalry weekend just to stay in that in in the power 4 or whatever we call it i i don't think we're going to get to that point just because the loyal like the loyalty that exists right now is not going go to go go away right um these these conferences have gone out specifically and added teams because they ha- think they add value And in 10 years or 15 years, if they don't add value, still you think that that value will come back at some point. Essentially what you're at, what you're talking about is relegation. I don't watch soccer, but I know they have the relegation thing from, uh, from Ted Lasso. And I think that's, that's nice in terms of regular sports, but college football is beautifully dysfunctional. The conference sort of affiliations that were, you know, first created because of academics, we know they're not there anymore, but they exist. The loyalty still exists. So I don't think we'll get to that point. Although, like I said, for content purposes, it would make for some tremendous drama, especially late in the season against some of those teams like Vanderbilt or Missouri or Rutgers, whoever that are sitting there at three and eight and need to get something done to stay as a big, as a major college football
2: Well, and Baron, I'm not even saying about like a competitive thing. I don't think it's going to be, you know, they're going to play it out to see who finishes last and gets kicked out. I'm saying if the TV networks come in and say, get rid of these two teams and you're all going to make more money because you're going to divide up their share and we'll pay more if you add this team or that team, it's the TV networks that are calling the shots now. They're telling them what they want, and these conference commissioners are moving and reacting to whatever they say to make the most money possible. So that's where I think it could happen, that a network comes in and just says, you need to get rid of them because they offer us nothing.
1: Now I'm not a lawyer. Um, I am two and zero in my amateur legal days, evicting somebody from a, uh, a rental property, and also uh, nice sort a small claims court. You walked away undefeated. That's smart. Walked away That's undefeated. That's right. I'm not, but we do know billable hours are undefeated, right? Yes. Um, they're more undefeated than my legal career. Uh, so if if that happens, I would imagine there will be many lawsuits uh, filed over a variety of different reasons. So. I like the idea. I think that, you know, it's nice in theory, but that is that would get so messy. I mean, just incredibly messy if it ever came to that. Barrett
0: Salee, you can reach him for all attorney advice at (laughs) 1-800-B-Salee. The billboard, I can see the billboards now. Uh, Always great perspective, man. We always enjoy these visits and we'll do it again soon, hopefully.
1: Yeah, guys, thanks for having me, and appreciate uh, appreciate y'all having all of us over uh, at the event last uh, last month in Nashville. Yeah, yeah, was awesome. That was awesome. Yeah, good seeing you.
0: Thanks, Barrett. A blast, yeah, man. Uh, Barrett Salee, CBS Sports College football analyst. Uh, the other thing that we can uh, go really in-depth on uh, tomorrow or whenever, uh, the one thing that the terrible teams offer is programming for these networks. You know, they have all these different streaming channels, uh, SEC Network Plus, and at some point, you want live programming just to fill time slots. You know, the worst time slots on the ACC network, they have teams playing live on Saturdays. And it's not, it's
2: not Florida State or Clemson that no, are placed there. We can there. get into that. I'd like to see the cost analysis on what it takes to produce those, some of those games. Coming up, Joe Burrow and his injury timetable.
0: Coming up, Danny Cannell will join us with the latest on the stance from the Seminoles, of Florida State, and I'll ask if they're being too vocal right now <laughs> without having a partner for some leverage of Clemson, for instance. Well,
2: what they've also done, and I'm gonna, uh, Danny's going to be perfect to discuss all yeah. this in, in his own way. But I mean, like you've really opened the door to just get hammered by every coach. Every team in your conference, every social – not that they care, but every social media group, like you have put yourself out there saying, we are exceptional, we are better than everyone in this league. So now every time anyone beats them in anything in the league, they are going to rub that in their face every time.
0: We deserve a percentage of the payout that you want.
2: You owe us more. (laughs) We need more of a payout because we are the Florida State University. I can't wait to talk to Danny about this one.
0: I'm Mike with Anthony Withrow uh, here across the the Outkick Network. Uh, Greatest baseball fight ever, Chad, this weekend between the White Sox and the Guardians? I think Nolan
2: Ryan, Robin Ventura is the greatest ever. This one had the craziest conclusion I've ever seen. I, I can't recall a baseball fight where a guy has been knocked unconscious, knocked out, and then got up and had to stagger off the field with help from his teammates. Winter by The way up. we saw with the White Sox, still difficult for me to say, Guardians I know. brawl on Saturday night.
0: So Jose Ramirez uh, got into it with Tim Anderson after a slide into second by Ramirez, where Anderson, according to Ramirez, he, he took ex- Ramirez did, took exception to uh, the, the hard tag and just said, this guy's been disrespecting the game for a long time. And his response to my take, his Ramirez's take on the hard tag was, we'll get a fight. And then Ramirez lands this right hook that just KOs Tim Anderson. It was awesome. And so many of these, like, benches clearing and guys running in from the bullpen, it's just everyone grabs someone and just, you know, they cuss each other out for the most part. Maybe a shove or two. This is different. And Chad, of course, it involves Tim Anderson. He He's been... Uh, at the forefront of a lot of uh, vocal controversy. As yeah, was
2: late. it uh, Josh Donaldson? He accused of racist, saying something racist to him. There was some back and forth there. He's been involved in a number of things. It's clear a lot of the league does not like him. Yeah. Um, this fight was so interesting because you're right about, you know, dugouts clear, bullpens clear, guys just, they don't want to fight, right? Just guys staring at each other, holding people back, even if they're not doing anything. That's what happened after the KO in yeah. this one. Yeah. But this was a hockey drop-the-gloves moment because it was Anderson that, at first, I, I've watched this. I, I texted you guys Saturday night. I've spent probably 30 minutes watching different slow-mo angles. I was at UFC
0: watching fights, and this was the and better fight. This
2: was the best knockout yeah. from the UFC yes. event in Nashville. But the way Anderson <laughs> throws the glove off, and it's like 20-style boxing. Oh, but like, Rarely do you see guys put their dukes up. You know, oh, he didn't even like of, have it at his hip. Like they were like putting their dukes up like they were in a boxing match. And Anderson does that and then just gets that it's it's kind of a glancing shot. It looks like a glancing shot, but he hit him oh, full blush. force and knocks it heavy. him it was heavy. It stuns him. And, and it was it, it was incredible. To Ramirez's
0: watch. agent tweeted this out of putting boxing gloves on uh, on Ramirez trolling of course That's great. Anderson and all this. Anderson sent out some tweets. Uh, recently, like seven or eight of them in a row, saying, like, you know, keep trolling, keep trying to mess with me, whatever. But, I mean, again, this yeah, is Yeah, I mean, I knocked you unconscious. that That's the comeback, right? Yeah. Like,
2: you put your dukes up, and I threw a couple of haymakers, the second of which connected and knocked you out. Here's the quote from Ramirez. I wonder if they fight again. You uh-huh. know there's going to be a lot of stipulations Jay from Paul Major League will Baseball. Jake Paul probably try to pair them up yeah, in a pay-per-view. Yeah, ma- Major League Baseball is going to put a lot of different things on that to where if they do anything... It's probably going to be a season-long type suspension. So that's going to preclude them from doing that. But I kind of want to see this, uh, this little thing continue.
0: So uh, he, Ramirez told reporters, and he, Anderson didn't speak, uh, he'd probably take it straight to the hospital, as Dana White would say, yeah. uh, straight, straight to medical. <laughs> uh, quote from Ramirez, I think he's been re- disrespecting the game for a while. It's not from yesterday or before, and I even uh, had the chance to tell him during the game. Don't do that style. Just be respectful. Don't start tagging people like that, because in reality, we're here trying to find ways of how to provide for our families. When he does a thing that he does on the bases, he can get somebody out of the game. So for me, I was telling him to stop doing that. And then as soon as the play happened, he tagged me again really hard, more than needed. And his reaction was he said he wanted to fight. If he wanted to fight, I just had to defend myself. Well,
2: he did more than that. Dropped him. The defender became the aggressor in this fight. He defended himself and then then dropped him. They do not play again this season. So any bad blood will have to continue over into 2024. Uh, Don't think these two teams will be battling it out in the playoffs either this year. (laughs) Based on another story with the the White Sox we'll get into later, I believe. Uh, I don't think the White Sox are headed to the playoffs anytime soon based on culture in that clubhouse.
0: Chad, the, the Cincinnati Bengals won't be going to the playoffs without Joe Burrow. Um, And it's just a calf strain, and he's out for the preseason if you look at the weekly timetable here. But Jamar Chase, uh, who's going into a year where he can now get an extension after this upcoming season, uh, he would know a thing or two about taking it easy and making sure you're 100%. Jamar Chase uh, is saying he doesn't want Joe Burrow to start the season week one if he's not 100% ready. And Chase would know because he didn't start last season. 100%. And so, they slowly got him back out there on the field. Uh, This is the long play. I agree with him here. Um, I I wouldn't put Burrow out there unless he knows he's 100%. And this goes back to the conversation we had the day it happened, Chad. Uh, Pro football doc, uh, Dr. David Chow, said, he said, uh, hey, um, this is something that can get worse if you speed this process up of recovery. So... With that in mind, Burrow's got to be one hundred before he starts. And
2: I, I get it. Like you don't want to be the one that's the reason that you sped something up and then he gets hurt and he's out for an extended period of time. But I'm also thinking, We got some time here before the opener. Let's let's get everything ready. And not miss the season opener with our star quarterback, Joe the, Burrow. There are reports out of Cincinnati about I am about hoping camp. that it's just in a spot where you can do it, he can play yeah. come Good. opening week.
0: But he went down, what, day two of practice. Yeah. Uh, it reports out of the Bengals uh, media corps is that it, the, the offense looks lost without Burrow there. Because their backup option right now is Trevor Simeon. And they have uh, Jake Browning
2: also <laughs> competing for a roster spot as the number three guy. Well, and this is why we've talked about, you know, pay scale for different positions. This is why the quarterback makes so much money. I mean, they they are everything to the offense. When they go yep. down, a team is completely discombobulated. We saw it here in Nashville a year ago with the Titans. Quarterback goes down, the young guy, the rookie wasn't ready to come in and do anything. They had to go to someone that was a veteran but never really been a starter and it was just a disaster of the end of the season. This is the case for pretty much every team in the league if they lose their guy.
0: Yeah, and um, I mean, this is also a case for Burrow, who's already about to be the highest paid player in the NFL. Uh, All you have to do is watch practice, apparently, to see his value. We know his true value is on, and he shows it a lot. But yeah, go ahead and get this done while nothing's going on with him on the field currently. By the way, the first couple of games out of the gate for the Bengals do matter. Uh, they play the Browns and the Ravens back to back. They've got uh, they're on the road in Cleveland divisional week one.
2: matchups too in the first two weeks. Yeah,
0: uh, just from tiebreaker uh, stance. And hey, watch field.
2: watch out for the Browns. But, I'm just going to go ahead and say yeah. that right now. That that's the one that I think has perfectly flown under the radar all off season. And this this could be the surprise. They're actually going to meet expectations because Deshaun Watson had a few games to play terribly in at the end of the year, but he got his feet underneath them Now he's had a full offseason. They've got talent, especially on defense. I think the Browns could be a a pleasant surprise for Tyler and uh, all of his Brown fans up in uh, terrible northeast Ohio. Um,
0: We're going to see a a great rivalry down in Miami between Tyreek Hill and Eli Apple. Uh, uh, Hill is ready to embarrass Apple in practice now after doing it on the field. There's been a long time beef between the two. And now they're teammates and the Bengals, excuse me, the, the Dolphins did call uh, Tyreek Hill and say, Hey, we're fixing to sign a player. We want to get your, your take on it and just giving you a heads up, this is going to be out. And, uh, he, he told media, he's like, yeah, who, who are we fixing to sign? And they said, Eli Apple, go, would you have a problem with that? Are you going to have a problem with that? And he's like, no, no, every day going against him is going to make everybody better is what Apple Eli Apple said about Hill. Um, So, you know, they're playing nice, but there will be a lot of trash talk between these two. This will be a lot of fun to observe.
2: And that is the right response from Tyreek Hill. Any other response, to me, is unacceptable. You have to get past personal beef as competitors if a guy can come in and help your team. So if the team comes to you and you think, I mean, look, if, if if his response was, I would be fine playing with him as a teammate because I'm a professional, but... He's not very good, and let me tell you why yeah he's not going to help the team that's one thing but if your response is we have beef don't sign him I'm already here, so I don't want him here also I don't think that's a good look
0: and I, I think one of the questions was like hey what it, you've said a lot over the years he goes well I look at it like, if you want to look at it that way, I get to embarrass him every day now <laughs> <laughs> what well, else? And he did it jokingly.
2: You know, iron sharpens iron, Hutton. That's what, the way they're looking at this. We'll, they'll make each other better.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, If not for the Jalen Ramsey injury, you know, we didn't have this uh, this little spat.
2: Maybe we'll get this a Tim Anderson-type moment in training camp, but it would, ha- it would have to be with the helmet off. Too many helmet-on punches thrown. We need a helmet-off punch thrown to make that happen.
0: Uh, so the... Signing down in, in Miami, going back to Cincinnati, Joe Mixon took a pay cut as the running back there to stay on. And you know, it, it's the discussion about the value of the position and the, you had the Zoom meeting with some of the, the top players in the league. Jonathan Taylor is upset with the Colts and ownership there with Jim Ursay, um, you've of course got what, what's going on with the Raiders. Uh, and then you had Saquon Barkley who was saying he wasn't going to sign the tag, basically get another million added to it on behalf of the Giants on incentives and get more money on what would be the franchise tag, a guaranteed but paid different, where he's now getting $2 up front to just sign the contract. Um, Now you have Mixon take this deal. Others are still out in free agency. They have... They're all talk... All bark, no bite, Chad And Mixon... There was discussion based on some legal things and other issues uh, and price tag that he could have been released or traded this offseason. Instead, he takes the pay cut. And last week, he said the process, the thought process behind the move was, I see the task at hand, what we're trying to build. And in order to keep other players here and pieces here, sometimes you have to sacrifice. I felt like this year was the year to sacrifice on the Super Bowl team that we can potentially be. The player and the sacrifice, the player he's talking about, to have players here and pieces here is him there because if not he's not there as a part of the backfield in cincinnati
2: and if you are joe mixon and you've had his run-ins off the field the way he has and you've had a team that has stuck by you that way i i, I think there is some he owes it to cincinnati to do what they want here and I know that sounds counterintuitive to everything about all, always be for the players and make sure you don't give an inch and do that. But if I'm Joe Mixon, I don't think he's operating from a position of power based on some of the things that uh, he has done off the field and some of the news that he's been involved in where Cincinnati has stuck by him. So I do think this is his own version of a thank you and slash hometown discount. And I also think he probably really likes playing for a great team in Cincinnati that's already been to one Super Bowl and trying to win yeah. one now.
0: Yeah. And, I think that's
2: part of it. And that's fair, too. And we, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I know it doesn't help the case of every other running back trying to get what's theirs, but in his individual circumstance, I'm completely fine with his hometown discount he's given the, the Bengals. And then you have in Indianapolis with Jonathan Taylor, all of a sudden,
0: uh, there reports through Pro Football Talk, Florio and others – oh, the Colts want to keep Jonathan Taylor long-term, and once they hope things settle down and they can get something worked out. The question is, how do they do it? Because they've got the tag option a year from now. They've got him playing on the final year of his contract currently, and he wants to be traded. Well, all of a sudden, yeah, we want to keep him around. Have you seen the depth chart? Have you seen the depth chart? It's not great Mm -mm. behind him right now due to injuries elsewhere. Headlines and more next, specifically college football.